All right, we're back. Hello, hello out there again. My name is Beck Barnes, publisher and editor at Cotton Grower Magazine, as y'all may well know, and I want to welcome you back to the world-famous Cotton Companion podcast, as we always do. Uh, Whether you are joining us from Tranquility, California, or Hope, Arkansas, or any other upliftingly named dot on the vast Cotton Belt map, we want to thank you for joining us. Uh, I am here today, as always, with my partner in crime, CG's senior editor, Mr. Jim Stebman. Howdy, Jim. Hello, Beck. And and considering the fact that uh, we're recording this between rain showers, so we don't have the sound of BBs hitting the the studio window, uh, we might as well just be... uh, you know, coming to you from Atlantis, right. that's the way it feels. Right. Well, to be sure, uh, it is raining. Uh, it's only not raining so hard that it's causing noise against our office window. So that's why we're coming to you right now. Yeah, we are, we are I was going to get into this later, but yeah, we, we're coming to you today from the deck of Noah's Ark uh, here in Memphis, where it has been raining every day for the past 150 years. It feels like um, been a wet, rainy winter. And uh, these last few days before hopefully spring arrives, fingers crossed, uh, it's just nonstop. It's gray and cold and spitting rain, and uh, my dog is about to go crazy. I know people with children are pulling their hair out, um, but we hope we sure hope it's lovely wherever you are. We hope that uh, you are enjoying it. And dry. Yeah, and dry, nice, who knows. Or maybe, drying out, at least. Maybe you remember what the sun looks like. We'd, we'd appreciate you telling us. So, um, before we get too deep into... Today's program, though, we want to break here and have a quick word from today's sponsor, the fine folks at Phytogen. Phytogen is pleased to sponsor the Cotton Companion, bringing you the latest news to help you thrive all season long. So, all right, uh, we got a great episode lined up for y'all today. We are going to be, as always, reviewing uh, the latest ag news, and because of uh uh, the NCC's annual meeting that happened last weekend now, today today is the 22nd. Today's February 22nd. When was that meeting? I was there two weeks ago. Two weekends ago now. Time flies. Yeah, time does when, fly. When you're, when you're trading water, time yeah, flies. Yeah, especially mine, yeah. Uh, so uh, th- there's a lot of things to review coming out of that meeting that I was there at in San Antonio. So we're going to address some of them in our news segment that Jim leads uh, here in a bit. He's going to be talking about topics Uh, including but not limited to the new NCC officers, uh, NCC and National Cotton Jenners Association award winners, awards that were presented at that meeting. we got officers from all the affiliated organizations, going to be a lot of names. Probably a lot of y'all are going to recognize a lot of these names. Uh, And also we'll get into some registration is now open for some 2019 ginning schools. After we get done with that, we are going to be bringing you the real uh, meat, the entree of this meal, this episode uh, for y'all. Is uh, Jim did an interview with our old friend, our good friend, Dr. Don Shirley, who is a market analyst down there in Georgia and who recently wrote a great piece that you can find on our website, cottongrower.com. Uh, the piece is titled 2019, The 2019 State of Cotton at the Farm Level. And uh, Jim caught up with uh, Don earlier this week to discuss some of the, to discuss that story and some of the factors that are impacting the cotton market and I know that y'all won't want to miss that I, I suspect that's the reason a lot of y'all tune in is for these for that market minute where we have actual experts on here talking about stuff rather than just me babbling so y'all will enjoy that one uh, after that after that interview 
We're going to be talking about our one big thing in our, in our one big thing segment. We are going to be talking about a couple of uh, the other items that came out of that NCC annual meeting in San Antonio, namely the results of their planting intention survey. Uh, uh, a teaser, they are predicting a big number of acres in 2019 in the U.S. Cotton Belt and what that's going to mean. Uh, but I don't want to put the cart before the horse. We will dive right in here with Jim. I assume you want to lead off with these new NCC officers. Is that correct, that sir? That is absolutely correct, and I'm just keeping my fingers crossed that I can pronounce some of these names uh, correctly. Uh, always a crapshoot. Always a crapshoot. So, you know, if, 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 I, if I misspeak on some of these, you know, I'll accept the hate mail on it. But... Uh, Beck said, since we recorded our last episode, the National Cotton Council did hold its annual meeting in San Antonio. Uh, there's obviously always a lot of news that comes from that. But right now, I just want to take a quick look at, uh, at some of the new officers, the new leadership, uh, and the award winners uh, that, have, uh, that were named uh, during that meeting. First, let's take a look at the new NCC officers that were elected. Uh, Mike Tate from Huntsville, Alabama, was elected NCC chairman, and he succeeded uh, Ron Kraft, uh, who spent uh, uh, the past year uh, wrestling with the Farm Bill and other, other items and did a great job. Uh, 2019 vice chairman is Kent Fountain from Surrency, Georgia. Uh, vice presidents for this year are Kirk Gilkey from Corcoran, California, uh, Ron Harkey, Robert Lacey Jr. and Kevin Brinkley, all from the Lubbock area. Joe Nicosia from uh, from here close to us in Cordova, Tennessee. And David Hastings from Malden, South Carolina. Uh, Barry Evans, who's a producer from Crest, Texas, was re-elected secretary-treasurer. Now, there were also 35 directors elected to the NCC board at this meeting. And quite honestly, we'll have uh, don't have time to go through all of those but we'll have a complete listing of those folks in the April issue of Cotton Grower. Um, when you get down to awards, uh, the council always has, uh, has a couple of major distinguished service awards that they, they present. Uh, Philip Burnett, who's a, uh, a former NCC chief staff executive and also the first president CEO of the SEAM, received the organization's 2018 Harry S. Baker Distinguished Service Award. That is presented annually to an individual who's provided extraordinary service, leadership, and dedication to the U.S. cotton industry. And it's a very, uh, very distinguished group of individuals who have received that award over the years. Uh, the late Robert Chapman III, uh, who was chairman, chief executive officer, and treasurer of Inman Mills in Spartanburg, South Carolina, was honored with the, uh, the council's Oscar Johnston Lifetime Achievement Award. Uh, which is presented posthumously to an individual who served the cotton industry through the NCC over a significant period of their active business career. A couple of other awards were presented by the National Cotton Jenners Association. Uh, Kurt Gilkey, who's manager of Cross Creek 2 Gin in Corcoran, California, was named uh, recipient of the 2018 Horace Hayden National Cotton Jenner of the Year. Uh, he, and that was in recognition of his uh, efficient and able and faithful service to the U.S. ginning industry. And, uh, and Dr. Ed Barnes, who's uh, Senior Director for Cotton Incorporated's Agricultural and Environmental Research Division, received the 2018-19 Charles C. Owen Distinguished Service Award from NCGA. 
and that award honors individuals who provided a career of distinguished service to the U.S. ginning industry. Uh, more details on these award winners uh, you can find currently online at cottongrower.com and in the pages of the March issue of Cotton Grower, which should be hitting your mailboxes here within the next uh, next week or so. Is it next week, maybe two weeks? Sometime in the next two weeks. <laughs> Again, time is a, uh, <clears throat> to borrow from True Detective, when you're a magazine editor, time's a flat circle, yeah, it's right? A, it's, it's nebulous. Yeah, we, we, I have no idea what time <laughs> it is. Uh, at any point in the calendar year. All right, let's let's move on here. Uh, not only does does the uh, the council elect officers for 2019, but their affiliated organizations also do the same. Uh, for Cotton Council International uh, for 2019, Hank Reichley from Greenwood, Mississippi, is going to to serve as president. Uh, he will be assisted by first vice president Ricky Clark of Cordova, Tennessee, second vice president Ted Sheely of Lemoore. California, and Treasurer Carlos Garcia out of uh, Lubbock, Texas. For American Cotton Producers, Sean Holliday of Lubbock was re-elected chairman for this year, and he will serve with Vice Chairman Lee Cromley of Brooklyn, Georgia, Jason Condry of Lake Providence, Louisiana, uh, Dan Tlander of Maricopa, Arizona, and Regional Producer Directors uh, Neil Isbell of Muscle Shells, Alabama, Bama, Patrick Johnson of Tunica, Mississippi, Dole Schneers of San Angelo, Texas, and Mark McKean of Riverdale, California. And finally, for the National Cotton Generous Association, uh, they will be led this year by newly elected President Wes Morgan from New London, North Carolina, First Vice President Stewart, Curtis Stewart from Spade, Texas, Second Vice President George LaCour, Jr. from Morganza, Louisiana, Third Vice President Gene Seal from Pima, Arizona, and Chairman Stanley Creelman from Tulare, California. Again, for more details on these organizations, plus information on all of the CCI directors, the ACP state producer directors, and a listing of the NCC state unit officers, I said it's a bunch of names, a lot of, a lot of able people moving into leadership positions. Uh, you can find that information currently on cottongrower.com. And the, the complete listings, again, in the April issue of Cotton Grower. A lot of familiar names. Uh, I would say you did you did a good job with all of them. The only one you stumbled on was Alabama, but I would argue that I've been to places in Mississippi and Alabama where Alabama is, in fact, Or Alabama, yeah. It was, yeah, that was... <laughs> Bama works. Sorry, Alabama some, works. sometimes our deep southernness just really, yeah, that's right. really comes that's right. through. We don't, they don't teach you these things in broadcasting school. No. Not that they teach us, you know, not that either one of us went to broadcasting school. Not that I've ever stepped no. foot in a broadcasting no, school. No, absolutely not. Absolutely. And finally, in the news items, uh, as Beck mentioned, uh, registration is now open for the 2019 Jenner schools. Uh, and uh, these are uh, coordinated by the National Cotton Jenner's Association in conjunction with USDA and the three ginning laboratories that you'll find that are located throughout the country. Uh, and, and obviously, U.S. certified ginners, gin managers, and superintendents are urged to sign up now. Now, the locations and dates for these, uh, for these schools, the first one will be the Southwest Ginner School. That'll happen at the South Plains Ginning Laboratory in Lubbock, Texas, on April 1st through the 3rd. The Western Ginner School is up next. That will be at the Southwest Ginning Research Laboratory in Mesilla Park, New Mexico, and that's May 7th through the 9th. And finally, the Stoneville Jenner School 
at the USDA Ginning Laboratory in Stoneville, Mississippi, and that will occur June 4th through the 6th. Uh, registration information and course descriptions can now be found online at www.cotton.org slash ncga slash genschool. Uh, the schools will offer levels 1, 2, and 3 of practical course instruction on all aspects of ginning, as well as several continuing education courses. And that's it for news for this segment. Very good, very good. I know there's a lot of folks uh, get a lot of use out of those ginning schools, so if y'all are interested in those, look look, look into them. Uh, okay, Jim, thank you. We want to pause there before we go any further. We want to bring y'all a message from our sponsor, Phytogen. Uh, our custom content editor, Robin Sickberg, recently had the chance to sit down with Dr. Steve Brown. He's Phytogen's Cotton Development Specialist, or a Phytogen Cotton Development Specialist, I should say. And so uh, we're happy to hear from those two right now. Hello, I'm Robin Sitberg, Custom Content Editor for Meister Media Worldwide, and I'm here with Dr. Steve Brown, Phytogen Cotton Development Specialist. Welcome to the program. It's good to be with you, Robin. I, I look forward to our conversation. Yeah, thanks for being here. Growers are kind of recovering from a, a difficult season last year, and they're going back and evaluating what varieties performed well, how to maximize yield um, for this coming year. So what can you tell them about the yield potential of the new Phytogen W3FE varieties? Well, first, I agree. It's most, most farmers across the belt, as I've had the opportunity to talk with them, they're glad to turn the page on 2018. And as we look forward to 2019, if we look back on the historical record from Phytogen over the last many years, we've probably increased yields about 25 pounds an acre. So that's a tribute to our, our breeding staff as they have brought new varieties to, to the table that fit broadly, but then also fit in local regions. And uh, here, here locally at the University of Georgia, as they looked at, uh, they have several locations where they do their OVTs. They were only able to harvest two prior to the significant effects of Hurricane Michael. And in those two trials, it was exciting to see how well phytogen did. And this really kind of mimics what we see across the belt. But at the most um, significant location at Bainbridge, Georgia, which is an irrigated site, of 69 total entries, four of the top five were phytogen varieties. And, and number one was a brand new variety we're introducing, which is phytogen 580W3FE. So again, just a tribute to what we see here, uh, it's been done here in Georgia and in trials here, again, we think it's, it's been replicated across the U.S. as, as our breeders have focused on uh, adding the, the, the wide strike three traits, bacterial blight resistance, root knot nematode resistance, all those things really contribute to our success, our success locally as well as across the, the cotton belt. That's excellent. Um, why do you think the phytogen varieties are such consistent, um, consistently strong yielders across the board? Well, they definitely bring excellent variety. That's been that's been always a hallmark of our stuff. And, and again, as we focused on yield and quality, that's been uh, they they simply performed, and and that's been very exciting to be a part of as as we've seen that performance over a number of years, not not just a single year, but over a number of years. Where can growers go to get more information about some of these uh, varieties, especially some of the newer ones? There's always uh, the online source of phytogen.com. There are territory managers and cotton development specialists scattered across the, the U.S. cotton belt. We're eager to provide information to growers. 
Well, we need to wrap up now. Thank you so much for being on the program. And, you know, we really enjoyed you, having you and sharing the information with us today. Thank you very much. So very good. We want to thank Robin and uh, Steve Brown, Dr. Steve Brown, for that. Um, and we want to keep this train rolling here uh, from one interview right into the other. We want to bring y'all our Market Minute segment. Market Minute segment. And uh, this week's Market Minute segment features our old friend, Dr. Don Shirley. As I've said, uh, Don has written for us before on the website and on the, um, uh, in the pages of the magazine. He's been a guest on this podcast. Uh, he was one of the earlier guests on this yes, podcast, he was. now that I think about yes, it. Yes, he was. And uh, he's always uh, helpful and willing to share his vast knowledge with us, and, and so we're, we're appreciative of him. Uh, as I said, he wrote this great story. It's 2019 what did we say the title of that story? 2019 State of Cotton at the Farm Level. There you go. The State of Cotton at the Farm Level, which I suspect is something that y'all would all be uh, highly interested in reading. You can find it on cottongrower.com. Jim here talked with him about that story, and we want to bring you that interview uh, right now. Welcome to this episode's Market Minute. Today we're joined again by Dr. Don Shirley, he's extension economist for cotton with the University of Georgia Agricultural and Applied Economics Group. He's based in Tifton, Georgia. Don, thanks for joining us again. Thank you, Jim. It's a pleasure always to be with you. Thank you for the invitation. We appreciate that. Uh, Don, you recently published what you referred to as the 2019 State of Cotton at the Farm Level. Um, and in that, you covered an awful lot of ground in terms of acres, factors impacting the market and prices, safety nets for cotton and more. Uh, I believe you really described 2019 as an important and pivotal year for many farms and cotton growers. Can you kind of elaborate on that for us and, and why you feel that way? Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, many growers around the cotton belt and not just here in the southeast, uh, I mean especially here in the southeast, but growers in some areas of the cotton belt, uh, pretty much widespread, have experienced, um, you know, two or three subpar years recently out of the last four or five. Um, certainly we know about Hurricane Michael and and uh, hurricanes here in the southeast, especially uh, earlier this year and then last year. Um, you know, it, it wasn't just, 2018, a lot of our growers have had really subpar years, two or three years in a row, or certainly two or three years out of the last five or so. Um, and from that standpoint, you know, 2019 is going to be a pivotal year in terms of them having a year that is not problematic from a production and yield standpoint, uh, that's not problematic in terms of cost of production getting out of hand, and then lastly and just as important, you know, having a, having a good year price-wise in terms of, of making marketing decisions. Um, you know, we, growers receive the, the MFP, or I guess what we could call the tariff retaliation payments, but those payments are based on actual production. And a lot of our growers here in the southeast had um, had half of their crop wiped out. So, you know, what relief the MFP payments would have been uh, were not as much as they 
could have been because our production was much less than average. Um, the other thing, Jim, that I'll say, and I, I don't want to pile on negative stuff here, but it, it points to things why this year is pivotal. Uh, you know, crop insurance is not going to provide the help, the level of help that's needed in uh, most cases. Not that it's not good, it is. But let's just take an example. You have to remember that many growers were expecting a record, uh, a very high-yield high crop, a record crop this year. And um, so you might have had a, a non-irrigated grower, for example, that was going to average two bales, 1,000 pounds per acre. Well, when the hurricane, let's suppose the hurricane came through and knocked out 30% of that which would be relatively light compared to what some growers lost. But if the hurricane came through and lost 30 and wiped out 30% of that crop, remember it's wiping out 30% of what was probably going to be a record. So when you take 30% of that off, all that really did was get you down to about your average yield or maybe a little bit below. So if a farmer's insured at 65 to 70 percent of their APH, which is typical, then, you know, even though the hurricane came through and you lost 30 percent of your crop, it may or may not have, and in most cases would not have knocked you below your your yield guarantee. Mm -hmm. So, you know, crop insurance was not, you know, is not going to help in that, uh, in that case. Um, the other thing is that many growers had cotton contracted um, back when prices were in the 80s or close to 90 cents or better. And then because the hurricane came through and wiped them out, you know, many of them just were not going to be able to deliver on those contracts. So fortunately, they were able to get out of the contracts. Uh, but then what cotton they had left over um, – the crop they did make, they had to come back and try to price it where we are now. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that's not, you know, that's 10 cents, easily 10 cents less than probably where they had contracts at. So, you know, you take all that together, it's just, um, you know, after we've had bad experiences the last two or three years or so, um, hopefully 2019 will be a, uh, will not be problematic and we can get through it with, um, without problems. Okay. Well, let's look at 2019 for just a minute. Uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, the National Cotton Council uh, issued their projected planting cotton acres for the year, and I believe their number was 14.5 million acres all across the cotton belt, Upland and Pima included, uh, with a likely crop of, of around 23 million bales, if everything follows their projections. What implications does a potentially larger crop have on this on the market? right now considering where everything else is sitting uh if if that 14 and a half million acres is uh is realized then uh you know if we have kind of a typical abandonment and an average yield uh a crop of 23 million which is what the council was uh you know projecting based on that acreage that's that's going to put us four four and a half million bales more cotton than we had this year. Mm -hmm. um, typically, that may not be a problem, depending on how our exports are doing. Um, 
So that, you know, a four, four and a half million bale crop in and of itself is not the issue. The issue is how is that going to stack up against what our export market will be? And there's two uncertainties there. Obviously, the the uh, tariff situation with China, but irregardless of that even, Jim, there are growing uncertainties about the use and the demand for cotton worldwide. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, analysts such as myself and others and the media have talked about this now for months. Um, the demand for cotton is showing signs of, of uh, softening. So even if we didn't have the tariff situation with China, that would still be a concern. And the fact that you take a softening demand in combination with the tariff un- uncertainties with China, that that's, you know, all of that happening at once. The fact that we're going to, you know, that we could have a larger crop plus a weaker demand and weaker exports, you know, um, that's the concern looking ahead um, and what impact that that could uh, have on price. So it's it's not so much the potential larger crop. It's it's what are we going to do with it? Exactly. And uh, what do you do with another four, four and a half million bales of U.S. cotton if the demand is soft and if the trade situation with China is such that it limits our exports? Right. Well, let's talk about China for just a second because. Um the original deadline that the president put in place for working out these tariff issues with China is coming up on March 1st. Uh, and, and I've seen news reports that he's recently mentioned possibly extending that deadline if negotiations are moving in a positive direction. Uh, obviously, the uncertainties surrounding tariffs have already started to take a toll on the market. If, if we get another 90-day extension onto this, what kind of impact could that extension have as growers are getting ready to, to roll out into uh, into the fields as planting season gets here? Well, a 90 day, I don't know. You know, to me, Jim, it's kind of a two-edged sword. I mean, another 90 days past March 1, uh, what does that accomplish? I mean, on the if, if, if you want to take a positive spin on it, um, Maybe it's giving us more time to get a positive result from all of this, you know. Right. Uh, maybe something will be negotiated that, uh, that will be a positive for the market. On the other hand, another 90 days just extends the uncertainty of not knowing what's going on. Um, and I firmly believe that it's the uncertainty that's driving the market. The market hates uncertainty. That's right. And whenever we have uncertainty, prices get discounted. And I think to some degree, um, that's what's happening now. Um, the, the other thing along these, these lines, I think that needs to be mentioned, our exports to China are very important. Uh, they're, they're a major buyer of ours. They always have been. I mean, even when they were limiting imports from the U.S., we were still exporting to them. Right. Uh, and we're still exporting to them today. Um, the question is, you know, how much? Um, you know, so China's important, but also important is our ability to, uh, to export to places like 
like Turkey, like Vietnam, Bangladesh, places like that. If we can continue to make inroads into the into the mill industries in those countries, which we have, then that will at least offset some of the unknowns and some of the potential reduction in in exports that we might eventually be able to make to China. So, um, you know, another 90 days gives us time for hopefully a positive outcome. But at the same time, it just extends the uncertainty out there and not knowing exactly what's going, you know, gets us into planting season without really knowing what uh, kind of a market outlet that we have in terms of China. Well, looking at planting season, uh, uh, we, we know that cotton now has a safety net as part of the 2018 Farm Bill, and it's wonderful to have that in place, obviously, with everything else that's going on. Uh, if I'm a cotton grower, what should I be doing or sh- what should I be looking for right now to help protect myself going into this crop year? Great question. Um, I-, I think that the way that this, first of all, the way that this new Farm Bill is going to work um it doesn't make any major changes in um, ARC, PLC, but it does tweak it enough to, I think, be very beneficial to the grower. Um, now, that would require that the, uh, you know, the grower may have to make decisions more often in terms of which program looks the best crop by crop, farm by farm, whether that's ARC or PLC. But... I, I, I fully believe that this new farm bill is a better safety net than what we've had. We've certainly got seed cotton in there, which we didn't have before up until this past year. So, um, you know, the safety net's been greatly improved. Um, what, what growers are going to have to do to make sure that this safety net works for them as best as it can is just to be prepared to make these decisions on ARC, PLC, um, with the best information that you have. Um, you know, the industries, um, industries push for there to be this annual decision in ARC, PLC. So growers will make a decision this year that'll be good for 19 and 20. And then we'll come back a couple of years from now and make another decision. Um, we'll be able to make a decision annually uh, for each year starting 21, 22, and 23. So that's a great flexibility to have. Um, the challenge is um, being able to to look and having the information to, to see what prices are going to be doing and be able to make the best decision you can with regard to which one might work the best for you, ARC or PLC. Okay, great. Don, as always, you've uh, you've given us some really good informa- information and obviously something for our listeners to uh, to consider and and, uh, and kind of monitor and, and be ready for as they, as they move into uh, into this year. Uh, I want to thank you again for joining us on the Cotton Companion Market Minute. Uh, uh, we certainly appreciate your input once more. Thank you, Jim. It's always a pleasure. And we'll be right back with more of this episode of the Cotton Companion. All right. So uh, we thank thank you, Jim, for doing that interview again. We thank Don Shirley for joining us there. And uh, finally, we want to we want to bring you our last segment, our one big thing segment uh, that uh, I wanted to uh, in which I want to cover a topic 
that we just finished writing about in uh, our March issue, which, as we say, should be hitting your mailbox here in a couple of weeks. And that is just sort of a couple of the bigger developments, the bigger news items that came out of that meeting in San Antonio that I flew to go cover. Uh, If y'all will recall from our last uh, podcast, I was sick as a dog when I was covering. So if you saw me in San Antonio and I grossed you out, I apologize for that. He's looking much better, by the way. Yeah, I feel much better, but I was in a bad way in San Antonio covering that event. So I appreciate everybody being uh, patient with me and not pointing out that I was making weird noises trying to (laughs) clear my system up. So, um, one of those kind people who I interacted with at that meeting was the incoming chairman, Mike Tate, and I did a great interview with him, or he was a great interview subject, I should say, and as he has always been. We gave Mike the uh, Cotton Grower Cotton Achievement Award, which is an award we give out annually. We gave that award to Mike back in 2011, uh, and so that was uh, – I've known him since that time, and he's he's always been a great guy uh, he, you couldn't ask for a better guy to be leading the industry at this moment. He, uh, you know, one thing that uh, he was keen to say is he is a grower. He's a producer first. He's a producer delegate, I believe, there has been there at the council. But he also mm-hmm. uh, has his fingers in ginning and warehousing, and, and he has been involved in association stuff, specifically with the council for long enough that he feels uh, well positioned to represent each of the segments as you want the council president to do. So, uh, you know, he's just well qualified to be leading this organization in this moment. And one of the things that we talked about, Jim, you mentioned uh, Ron Kraft a minute ago. Exactly. And uh, so when Ron came in a year ago, you know, the big, there's one big item going into when, you know, there's a new NCC chairman every year and once every four years, it's going to be a farm bill year. And so when when that, if you happen to be the chairman during a farm bill year, that issue is going to dominate your entire time as the uh, chairman. And that's, I suspect, uh, Ryan Kraft would tell you, I don't know if he would say dominated his time, but that's the, the biggest issue that he dealt with last year. So now what do you have? Mike Tate comes in. The farm bill has is done and dusted. It's passed. Cotton's back in great shape. Big big props to the council for the work they did getting cotton back under the Title I designation. And so, you know, what do you think? Is Mike Tate going to come in and kick his feet up? And I, obviously that's not the case. And so, I, you know, I asked him to lie, lay out what he believes his year is going to consist of, and he pointed to a number of things, but I think three of the bigger ones were he mentioned – Farm bill implementation, you know, you don't just snap your fingers with this piece of legislation and it, and it rolls out seamlessly. Forgive me, I had a sip of water there. Um, you know, implementation of this farm bill, making sure it goes smoothly, is something that the council's heavily involved in, something he's going to be focused on. The other thing he pointed out was uh, 2018 was uh, saw its uh, more than its fair share of natural disasters. And so specifically in places like South Georgia or other parts of the Southeast, you know, disaster relief is a big item uh, on the council's plate right now. And they are working to get some of that uh, relief funding, relief uh, legislation passed uh, where they can. So that that's a big item that he's stepping into that's going on right now in this moment while he was just now taking over in the official capacity Uh, as he was elected two weeks ago in San Antonio. The third thing, one of the biggest things, I think uh, biggest in the mind of a news editor, because uh, I know that it is uh, 
and Stebbin, you know as well, being the online editor, you can look at those metrics. This trade dispute is a hot topic item uh, that y'all are interested in. And so that's one thing I was asking him about is, you know, what is the council's role in uh, trying to mitigate or trying to make sure Cotton's voice is heard? And, and he assured me, he's like, you know, you may, he assured me that the council is very active in lobbying and making sure that Cotton's interests are represented in this debate. Um USTR, U.S. Trade Representative, Representative. Mm-hmm. is who he mentioned uh, they are in contact with often. And, uh, Jim, I know you've spoken with Reese Langley a lot before, and he's kind of been the mm-hmm. guy to go back and forth. I feel right. like he's told you the same in mm-hmm. recent times, right? Absolutely. And, and of course, as we're, as we're sitting here recording this, there, is, uh, you know, there appears to be some movement, positive movement at least, in some of the trade negotiations with China, uh, which is really kind of the, you know, the elephant in the room. At this point, but there's some positive. As of today, there are some positive, uh, positive notes, and especially for agriculture, uh, I've, I've, I have heard or have seen reports that uh, that are positive for soybeans. I've seen and heard reports that are positive for corn. Uh, the one thing I'm waiting for at this point is uh, is any word on cotton. So uh, the the trade representative and the, the negotiating team are certainly uh, certainly appear to be more positive at this point. Uh, so hopefully by the time you hear this, or shortly after you hear this, that there will be some uh, some more positive movement or news on uh, on that trade situation. Uh, in the grand tradition of uh, Cotton Companion Podcast, yes. if, if we talk about something that's in the balance, by the time you'll hear it, it's done. Yeah, so we may have just uh, we may have just done a great service to y'all. Maybe there, there'll be a trade deal by the time we'll, y'all. We'll hear let you got. We'll let you uh, our, our listeners judge us. Right, right, but so, not too harshly. Right. Um, the other big news item uh, that y'all probably heard about uh, on some media platform that came out of that San Antonio meeting. Hopefully, you heard it from Cotton Grower. Was uh, the NCC's acreage projection? They do a very thorough, very sound planting intentions survey where they uh, do a survey of uh, it's um, scientific yeah it's yeah it's great it's done by very smart people um <laughs> we, as y'all know we do a survey that i'm very proud of but it is done by little old me and so it's uh the the one that the council does is uh, there's uh, some more i would say there's more uh backing of that one uh, to make it more scientifically sound and so anyhow, their number was uh, 14.5 million acres uh, to be planted. Obviously, planted is not harvested, but to be planted in the United States in 2019, cotton. Uh, that would represent the biggest acreage number since 2011. It's just under what was planted in tw- 2011. If y'all will recall, 2011 was the year that you know prices shot up to like $1.50 because there was no cotton to be found on the open market. And so naturally, that encouraged a boatload of planting that year. Uh, This is a little more of a, the market is more stable than it was at that time. Uh, And so this number being that big, uh, you know, there were pros and cons of that. Obviously, we love seeing that big acreage number because it means many of y'all are finding this to be a profitable business to plant cotton. And so we like seeing a big number like that. Uh, but again, it, it would be outside of 2011, it's the biggest number in about 15 years, right around the turn of uh, the millennium, right around 2000, 
those early aught years, uh, there were gigantic numbers, 15 million acres uh, around in there for, for several years right there. But uh, again, this number was so big that it had kind of a chilling effect on prices that I think as, as soon as like the next day. And uh, you can certainly understand why, um, you know, from, from our perspective, if you look at 2018, and uh, Jim, you're aware of this, Georgia, prior to those hurricanes, to a person, everybody down there said it was one of the most beautiful crops that exactly. they were having. Mm-hmm. They, they were getting ready to blow the roof off of their uh, yields down there in Georgia. At the same time, in the Southwest, they are looking at a better than average soil moisture scenario coming out of this. You know, they haven't had the wet winter that we are staring out the window at. But y'all in the Southwest have uh, had a little more moisture over the winter months, a uh, few rain events, few precipitation events. And so, you know, the, the market or rather conditions, uh, planting conditions are going to be prime. And so if we plant this huge crop, Barring natural disaster, and I'm knocking on wood that we don't have any, you know, we're going to produce a big old crop um, in 2019. If we plant a big old crop, we are going to produce a big old crop. I mean, I think they're projecting, the council projected 22 million bales, uh, assuming normal abandonment. Last year was not normal. Last year was big abandonment number. Yeah, I think they were looking at like a 10% abandonment uh Number that they were they were factoring into this with an, an average yield of about 840 pounds per harvested acre, and that's where they would come up with the 23 million bale yeah. number. Yeah, so it's going to be, you know, again, and we hope it is, but it's going to be a big crop. But if you combine that with this China situation, if we are limited in where we can sell this crop to, where there's demand for it, you can see why that's going to have a chilling effect on the market uh, right after that number comes out. Of course, you know, it brings us no <laughs> pleasure to speculate uh, bearishly like that. But, um, you know, what what we would hope is that this trade res- trade dispute gets resolved this week. You know, prices inch back up into that north of 80 cent range for the remainder of the season and, and everything's going great guns. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of moving parts there. So, uh, you know, that again, those are those are the big items to come out of that. That meeting, the 14 and a half million bay, or million acre planted acre projection uh, is a big number to kind of keep your eye on as we watch this market as we creep towards planting season here. Well, all right, that's going to just about do it for this installment of the Cotton Companion podcast. We want to thank uh, Dr. Don Shirley one last time for taking a minute to talk with us and our listeners. Again, he's he's always been a great friend to our readers and listeners and uh, American farmers in general. So we appreciate them. Uh, one, uh, once again, we want to thank Phytogen for sponsoring us. Uh, and we want to thank you, dear listeners, sincerely for joining us. Uh, if you like what you're hearing, please tell your farmer friends about us. Uh, you can get to, you can tell them that they can reach us in three easy ways. The first, cottongrower.com forward slash companion. That brings you to a landing page where you can find all 42 now episodes of this podcast. The second way, very easy, subscribe to our channel on iTunes. If you're familiar with iTunes on your smartphone, go ahead into that podcast app, search for us, the Cotton Companion Podcast, and uh, listen away. Leave us a rating. Let us know what you think. The third and best way, in my opinion, to be sure you're receiving each episode of this podcast is to sign up for our weekly e-newsletter, 
Jim works hard to pack that thing with all of the news of the day. It hits email inboxes each Tuesday morning like clockwork. And uh, you can do that by simply going to www.cottongrower.com forward slash subscribe. You'll enter your email address and voila, you get the best e-newsletter out there. Finally, please make sure you're following us on social media. We are at Cotton Grower Mag on Twitter and on Facebook. You can find us by simply searching for Cotton Grower Magazine. We hope that you are enjoying the latest magazine, which at this point is the January, no, February February issue, but the March one will be arriving in your mailbox in a couple of weeks. Hopefully arriving in a, you'll have a sunshiny walk to that mailbox, dry, sunny walk to that mailbox to get that March issue. So this podcast is produced by the great Tyler Hatch. He works at the Mothership, Meister Media Worldwide in lovely Willoughby, Ohio. My name is Beck Barnes. I'm going to be back with you in two weeks for the next episode of The Cotton Companion. For now, on behalf of my own Cotton Companion, Jim Stebman, we wish you and your farm all the best. Phytogen thanks you for listening to this edition of The Cotton Companion. To learn how you can thrive with Phytogen, go to phytogen.com. <laughs>